Good morning. I also want to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield to our Cornerstone service. Uh, my name is David. We have not met. If you are a guest, uh, thanks for being here. I uh, hope you've already been blessed uh, by your participation in worship, and I appreciate uh, the chance to share with you. You heard Ann just a moment ago talk about our Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve services. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to hear that over and over again over these next few weeks, the many opportunities that we have uh, to gather on Christmas Eve. And here's why, okay? I want you to know specifically why. I want you to do two things for me. I want you to, number one, pick out the service that you're going to come to, okay? So identify your target. What service is going to fit you and your family of the many opportunities that we have? And here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to memorize our Christmas Eve opportunities. And here's why. Because there's someone in your life who may be looking for a place to celebrate Christmas Eve. And I want you to know all the opportunities uh, that you have. You can share those uh, with them. Also, so you can pray for your staff and pastors to somehow make it through the Christmas Eve marathon of uh, 10, 2, 4, 6, 8. Is it 8.30? Is that the next one? I'll be here, but 8.30, 10, and then 11.30, we'll have a communion in that final service. Uh, Christmas Eve, like Easter, is a, a big, big time around here, and uh, we appreciate you not only joining us for Christmas Eve, but again, thinking about those that you might invite uh, to be a part of this special season in the life of our church. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you did not bring uh, your Bible with you, we have some blue Bibles in the seat pocket in front of you. And in that blue Bible, you'll find Philippians 4 on page 1827. We encourage everyone to bring their own Bible uh, each and every week. Uh, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to bless you with that. So please stop by the connect connecting point uh, after the service. We'd love to give you that as our gift for you as you begin your journey uh, with the Scriptures. But Philippians 4 is where we're going to be. And as you've already heard multiple times uh, in our service today. The word for today is joy. In this series, we're looking at four words that we believe are at the heart of the Christmas story. Uh, last week, we talked about hope. Today, we're talking about the word joy. And we're going to look at joy uh, through the lens of this Scripture passage in Philippians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 4. And, and here's what I want to invite you to do uh, as we share this together. I'm going to invite you to read this with me, okay? Okay? So this is, uh, this is an all skate. We're all participating, okay? So please, uh, please share with me in these words. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to read it again, all right? And the reason we're going to read it again is I want you to, to lock into and channel that inner strength that you have, okay? I want you to speak it from the depth of your being, from down here, okay? Especially this first part, okay? I want to hear you proclaim and project this truth with me. Are you ready? Okay, good. Everyone seems to be ready. Okay, here we go. You're right. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whenever we develop a series, when we think about what our theme is going to be over the course of several weeks, we do think about the idea that our theme, our series, whatever it might be, it hits people in different ways. Because of your own perspective, the situation of life that you may be walking through, we here in our church, we have six weekend services. They're all a little bit unique and different. We have in our church family people of all ages, people at all stages of life, people who are going through all sorts of different things in this large community that gathers together each and every weekend. And so one of the things that we are mindful of whenever we think about, well, this is what we're going to do for, for this period of weeks is we try to think about the different ways that people are going to engage with that idea. And, and so when we came to, to this and we, we started talking about the most wonderful time of the year, part of our thought process there was, hey, Christmas is busy. Christmas is filled with stuff. And one of the temptations that we often fall into is we get wrapped up in everything that we got to do to celebrate Christmas that we actually don't celebrate Christmas. You get to December 25th about one o'clock and you look around and go, what just happened? Like, so you, you know, that's, that's what some Christmases have been like for you because it's just so full. And so part of the idea here is uh, we want you to remember the song, right? But we also want you to embrace Christmas. We, we want to remind you in these weeks leading up to the celebration of Christmas to take time and, and to recognize the sacredness of these days, to, to enjoy the, the process a little bit, to remember uh, what, what Christmas is, is really all about, to embrace, to embrace these days as special and holy days. But, but with this, this idea of the most wonderful time of year, one of the things that we're also mindful of is that though you may remember the song that talks about this, this great season of the year, for some in our church family, for some who are here over the course of these weeks because of what you may be going through right now, this Christmas, or just because of the holiday season, it, it may not feel like the most wonderful time of the year. And over the course of this last week, I had, I had many different reminders in my own life of, of, of the idea that, that for many of us, we, we may not feel like this is the most wonderful time of the year. One of those is, is happening today at, at 2 p.m. in our chapel. You've probably heard about this over the last couple of weeks. Every year we have a remembrance service. We do it at the holiday season, and the purpose of that service is for those who want to gather with others to remember a loved one at this holiday season. They do so together in that special service. People bring ornaments that represent their loved one, and they place them on a remembrance tree. They, they light a candle as a part of that service, and name is, is shared. A, a life is remembered. We do that each and every year because we recognize that at the holiday season, when we think about those that we have lost, particularly those that we may have lost in tragic circumstances. It's a time we want to remember them. It's a time that we want to honor them. We want to celebrate their life, but also, uh, again, mark the, the absence that, uh, that we feel uh, because we have, they are no longer a part of our life, our everyday life, uh, each and every day. 
over, over the course of, of this last week, there have been other things that have reminded me of this. I was at Mansfield, uh, Methodist Mansfield Hospital several times uh, over the course of this week. Uh, to be with uh, a young mother in our church. She was here in church last weekend, uh, feeling fine, everything was going well, but on Wednesday she found herself having a surgery to remove a tumor in her brain that was discovered on Tuesday. So in the course of, in the course of a week, life has taken a dramatic turn for her and for her, for her family. Uh, there's another uh, young mother in our church who several months ago was diagnosed with leukemia. We, we prayed for her and for her husband on, on a particular weekend back in, I think, the first of October, somewhere around that time. Uh, uh, she was in the hospital for a long time, going through two rounds of, of treatment. She's home now. She's actually here today, though I'm not going to point her out because I don't want you all to just overwhelm her. But she's here today. It's the first time she's been in church in many months, been able to be here. What a celebration. But Here's what I want you to, to, to hear. The, the prayers of that family this Christmas is that she will be well enough to go back to the hospital, to, to be able to, to, to have the transplant that is the next step she needs to take to move forward to full remission. This Christmas is different than last Christmas for that family. Now, here in this space, we had multiple funerals this week. We, we, we had uh, one last Saturday, and if you were around our, our campus on Thursday in the morning time, uh, some of you have already asked me, hey, what in the world happened on Thursday? The, if you came around that time, there was no parking available. It was, it was completely full. This room was full of people. They were gathered uh, for the funeral for a, a young man, a Dallas sheriff, who fell ill over the Thanksgiving holidays. And in the course of just a few days, his, his life tragically came to an end. And so officers and, and, and family and friends filled this space on, on Thursday. Uh, they came together to, to unite themselves with that family in grief, a family that is going through what has to be the most difficult experience they've ever faced in their life. This will be a different Christmas than any Christmas they've had in the past. And that family actually wasn't a member of our church. It was another church here in Mansfield who called us and said, we need a bigger room to, for this service. Can we use your, your sanctuary? And we said, of course, we want to help you bless that family. So here, here's what I want you to wrap your head around. That in this space, this space where you together just declared Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. In this space, just a few days ago, this space was filled with people who had come to, to be with a family at a time of immense grief. Now, I don't share all that to send you into an early holiday depression, okay? That's not the, that's not the intent, but rather just to remind you, this is the world in which we live and when you think about the reality of the world in which we live, and you, and you think about the word joy, you, you think about these instructions from Paul where he says, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. It would be easy for you to hear these as somewhat trite. 
It would be easy for you to hear these as, as perhaps just a, a cliche. You, it would be easy to hear these in the same way you heard your mom or your dad when you were a young child and they said, okay, here's the deal. We're going to Christmas and you're going to get some presents and some of them you're going to like and some of them you're not going to like, but you're going to smile and you're going to say thank you because that's what we do. We, we are nice. We pretend if we need to. You need that sweater. Just act like you do, right? Okay? Uh, maybe you'll get the toy later. You remember that? Just be happy. And, and, and maybe that's how you hear these words from Paul. Be happy. Just fake it if you need to. But put a smile on your face and be happy. And if you were to think of joy in that way, if you were to think of joy in that way, you would miss what Paul is articulating here. And you would miss what we mean when we talk about joy as being central to the Christmas story. So let's think a little bit about what that actually means. If you were here last week, we talked about hope, and we said that hope is not just a gamble. It's not just a cross your fingers, turn around, you know, hope, hope, hope. Oh, maybe, just maybe God cares about the world and God cares about me. Rather, hope is the anchor for the soul. That's how it's described in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says it's the anchor for the soul. It's the weight that we drop in the deep waters of life when the waves rise and the wind picks up. When we find ourselves, when we are afraid that we might just be tossed overboard, that is the anchor for our soul. That is what keeps us grounded. That is what reminds us that in the end, everything is going to be okay. It is the picture that we get at the end of the story. It's God whispering then saying, it's going to be okay. It's the hope that we have, not a gamble. Uh, not a maybe, just maybe, but rather it is the conviction that the God who kept his promise by coming at Christmas is the same God who will keep his promise and come again to restore and to renew the entire world. Hope is a reminder that our life is in God's hands, and in God's hands we're okay. In the end, everything is going to be okay. And we talk about hope in the context of the whole story from Genesis to Revelation. We walked through, I gave you an overview of the entire history of the Bible, and we still got out on, on time. That's what's so surprising. And, and we're not going to do that again today, but I do want to remind you of one component of that. We talked about that a little over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the great nation of Israel began to crumble. And the, and the nation crumbled for many reasons, poor leadership, the threat of, of neighboring nations, uh, their rebellion against God. But over the course of several hundred years, the great nation of which David was king completely collapsed. And, and by the mid-sixth century, that kingdom was no more. They'd been conquered. They'd been sent into exile, and so from that time to the time of Jesus, all that the people of God had to hold on to was the small glimmer of hope that was referred to in the prophets that one day, on the other side of exile, one day God would return. God would return in a Messiah, a Savior, who would restore the kingdom. Uh, which again makes you think, well, gosh, it's so surprising that they rejected Jesus. But we, we talked about why they rejected Jesus. The reason that they rejected him uh, was because they expected that, that Jesus would come and would restore a kingdom of physical space, that Jesus would do what everyone else had done before him, that he, they, he would come and, and he would conquer like the Babylonians had and the Persians had and the Greeks had and the Romans had. He would come and he would restore the physical kingdom of Israel. 
But what Jesus came to establish instead was a kingdom that wasn't about a physical space, but rather a kingdom in the human heart. Jesus came to do a brand new thing, to establish a new kind of kingdom, not a kingdom that is bound by a geographic area, but rather a kingdom, a kingdom that exists within the human heart. So what, is, what, is that actually, what does that actually mean? Well, let me, let me read to you something that, that Pastor Tina wrote just a few weeks ago. We actually had Philippians 4 as our reading the Wednesday before Thanksgiving in, in our first 15 devotional uh, that day. And here, here's what she wrote. Uh, she said, did you know that you can really only feel one emotion at a time? You can feel lots of emotions in a short amount of time, but in the moment, only one can win your heart. I want you to focus on that last part, that in the moment, only one can win your heart. What does it mean that Jesus has come to establish a kingdom in the human heart? Uh, I have a chair over here. Uh, and if you were to attend one of our worship meetings uh, where we get together and we talk about all the different services that we have each weekend and our staff talks about everything they're going to have to do on this platform space to get ready for all of these services, uh, you would hear these chairs referred to by them as our thrones. These are the thrones of First Methodist Church. That's, that's, and, and they call them that because they're nice chairs. These are the nicest chairs we have on campus as far as I know. Uh, they are very well made. Uh, they're heavy. They don't fold up. We don't have a rack to store them on, okay? Uh, these are the thrones. Now, in most instances, when you hear that word throne, you would think of the place of ultimate authority and power. It's not how it exists around here just so you know. But that's, that's how you would think of a throne, that it is the place, it is the place where the ultimate authority and the ultimate power in a kingdom sits. And from this throne, from this seat, the rule and reign of the one who is over all things extends out into all that is within their kingdom. That's what a throne is. It's the place of power. It's the place of authority. And the expectation of God's people was that Jesus would come back and he would reestablish David's throne that he would once again establish the kingdom, the kingdom of physical space, the kingdom of a geographic area. But what Jesus understood is that there is another kingdom and that the place of ultimate power and authority is not something that exists outside of us, but rather it's something that exists within us. That there is a throne in the human heart and Jesus came. Part of the reason that we have Christmas is that Jesus came to take his place on that throne. Not a throne that is outside of you, but a throne that is within you. So look again at Philippians chapter 4 and, and listen to what Paul is teaching here. He starts by saying, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I'll say it again, rejoice. But just two verses later, just two verses later, what is he talking about? Verse 6, he says, uh, he says, do not be anxious 
about anything, but in everything, in every situation, present your requests to God. Pray about those things that make you anxious, that make you worried, that make you afraid. Now, why does Paul go so quickly from rejoice to don't be anxious? I mean, it's kind of really quick there. What's the connection between joy and and anxiety? And why does Paul go there? Why does Paul mention anxiety? Well, well, here's the first thing that may be helpful for us to, to see here. Anxiety is not something that we discovered in the 21st century. That's kind of helpful for us to know. We, we kind of think we did. Oh, that's, that's a modern thing. Now, old people, yeah, you know, back in the day, they didn't expect. No, no, no. This is as old as the world. This worry, this fear, this anxiousness, this uh, stirring up that we experience in our life. And when you look at the scriptures and when you look at the teaching of Jesus, there is a specific way in which they refer to things like anxiety and worry and fear. Anxiety is an imposter. Anxiety is a false power. And like all false powers that get loose in our life, the agenda and the goal of anxiety is this, to take over the throne. That's what every false power that gets loose in your life tries to do in you. And anxiety is not the only one. Let me just give you a couple others. Here's some of the names that we might use to describe them. Fear is a false power. You might call it a demon that gets loose in your life. And the goal of any false power is always the same, to take over the throne. Depression is a false power. And don't hear that as me in any way minimizing the reality of that experience because at a season that we call the most wonderful time of the year, it is also a season that many people feel they would describe in a very different way. But depression is a demon. It's a false power. It's a cloud that seeks to overwhelm your life. It, like all false powers, seeks to take the throne. Anger can become a false power in your life. Let loose, it seeks to take the throne. Pain and suffering, pain and suffering are false powers. They are imposters. What do they try to do? They try to take over the throne. They try to take over the place that God alone is worthy to sit in. Because here's the real direct in your face, this may hurt a little bit, truth of Philippians chapter 4. It is that our souls are not safe when God is not seated on our heart's throne. Our souls are not safe when God is not seated and our heart's thrown. And I don't know who in this room needs this, but, but let me tell you, if this is something that hits you, you need to write this down. Not because I said it, but because you need it. And you need to write it down and you need to put it someplace that you're going to see it over and over again. I don't really recommend tattooing yourself. I think that's kind of funny. We got lots of staff with lots of tattoos and I make fun of them all the time. But this may be worth tattooing on your body, okay? And here's why. Because it's a reminder to you that when you allow, when you allow someone else to sit on that throne, when you allow something else to sit on that throne, you are placing your soul in danger. 
You're placing your soul in danger. And don't, don't, don't misunderstand that of me saying, oh my gosh, you, you're not going up, you're going down. That, that, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? I'm talking about the damage and the harm that is let loose in our life when we allow something else to sit on that throne. Because there's only one who's worthy to sit there. There's only one who when they take that seat of power and authority, we are in fact safe. And part of the teaching that Paul is offering here is that if joy is going to let loose in your life, not just joy that puts a smile on your face, but joy that, 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 that nurtures a sense of security and trust that we have a life with God and everything is going to be okay. God has to be on the throne. And anything else that finds its way to that place is a false power that will undermine joy in your life. There is only one who can win the heart. There is only one worthy to be seated on that throne. This is not from Paul words that say, just be happy, smile, pretend. It is instead, if you go from verse 4 to verse 9, it is instructions on how to protect God's throne. Recognizing that joy is a posture of the heart, it's a posture of the soul to the situations and circumstances of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice by surrendering anxiety, by praying and offering that up to God, by allowing the peace of God to enter into your life. And if you keep reading in verse 8 and 9, which I don't have time to talk about, what you will see is Paul says, instead of focusing on that which worries you and makes you afraid, worry and, and focus on those things that are right and pure and lovely and praiseworthy and good. Allow those things to take root in your life and in doing so allow, allow God to take back his rightful throne. The kingdom of our lives is in good hands when it is placed under the authority of the only one who is able to truly be for us both a savior and a king. And Jesus arrives in the Bethlehem manger because he wants to be a Messiah, but he also wants to be a king. Jesus arrives in the Bethlehem manger because he wants to save you wants to be your Savior, but He also wants to be your Lord. Jesus arrives in the Bethlehem manger as a compassionate shepherd who recognized that we needed saving. And the saving that we needed, the security that we needed is not one that could be guaranteed by a physical kingdom, but only when the only one who is worthy takes takes his rightful throne. So the question of Christmas is not, are you happy? The question of Christmas is not, is everything going exactly how you want it to go? That is not the question of Christmas. The question of Christmas is, who is seated on your heart's throne? And when you take the time to really think about that, to then maybe ask yourself the next question. Is your soul safe? Or have you placed your soul in danger by allowing something else to, to sit 
on God's throne. Now, I know some of you, you may, you may hear that question and you may think to yourself, well, I don't know. How am I supposed to know that? Like, what's the test? What do I do? I, how, how do I know who is seated on your heart's throne? Here's just a few thoughts for you. If you find yourself at a place of confusion and you struggle to answer that question, the first thought is the throne belongs to God, so He knows who's sitting there, okay? You may not know. You may be completely confused. You may not quite be able to wrap your head around what, what might be going on inside your heart and your soul, but God knows So spend time opening yourself up to how he would lead you in that. How his spirit would would speak into your life and perhaps help you see something that you cannot see right now. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those those seasons in life where you find yourself frustrated and stressed and, and worried and afraid and you don't really know why. It's where you find yourself in a season where the tears just come and someone says, why are you crying? And you say, I don't know. I'm just laughing inside because I'm thinking of all the times that my wife cries and I say, why are you crying? And she says, I don't know. Why do you not know? And yet we all experience that, don't we? We get angry. We get turned around. We get frustrated. We don't, we, we don't know. Here's the other thing I want you to hear. And you can just write this down and look at this later. Listen to Psalm 139 and listen to how David expresses and articulates his understanding of God's knowledge of him. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. And then listen listen to the second half of verse 3. You are familiar with all my ways. Here's what I wrote in my journal the other day as I was thinking about that last half of verse 3. I am not a mystery to God in the same way that I'm often a mystery to myself. I am not a mystery to God in the same way that I often am a mystery to myself. You are not a mystery to God in the same way that you are sometimes to yourself. When you can't quite figure out what is it that is going on in my soul? Who, is, who really is seated on my heart's throne? There's no mystery because God is familiar with all of your ways. And so the take-home today for you may be, as you think about what does it mean to experience joy? What does it mean when we talk about Christmas as being a season of joy, a time where we think about joy, to recognize that joy is a fruit of God's kingdom, living in you, reigning in you, ruling in you. And you might need to spend some time with the Spirit who might help you see who is seated there, where a false power may be loose in your life and where you may have be placing your soul in a sense of danger because someone who is not worthy, something that is not worthy is, has an authority in your life that must, that must be taken away. And so I want to, uh, before we come to receive communion, I, I want to pray for you And I want to pray for God's Spirit to reveal to you something that maybe right now may be really confusing to you, but that you would have the patience and the openness to hear the truth that God would speak into your life this day. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, I know for, for, for many this notion of joy feels so distant from the reality of their life. That may uh, represent, Lord, a searching that has been going on for quite some time, or, Lord, it may may represent just a difficult, difficult experience of life they're walking through right now. So for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the deeper understanding of, of joy, and that you, Lord, would give us the patience to seek out your wisdom in our life to identify, Lord, the ways in which we may be completely missing what you are seeking to reveal. As we think about, Lord, the restoration of your rule and your reign in our life. And Lord, today I want to especially pray for those who in a season where they feel like they just have to put a smile on their face, for those who may be walking through what feels like a very dark moment. I want to pray for those, Lord, who right now are wrestling with an addiction. Lord, those who may feel overwhelmed by the cloud of depression. Those, Lord, who who may feel like whatever it is they are battling with right now has all the control. Lord, give them the faith to call out that false power and to make space for you to reclaim what belongs to you alone. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen.